0: You've landed on The Lonely Diplomat podcast. Wherever you are in the world, welcome. I'm Phil McAuliffe and I'm The Lonely Diplomat. My work helps diplomats and those living the diplomatic life to reconnect with themselves and the world around them. And I do this through work on my website, thelonelydiplomat.com. That involves a, this, well, this podcast, um, some activities on social media, Uh, across facebook instagram and linkedin i've created a site for diplomats and those living the diplomatic life on my website uh, called the lounge and through a blog if you're a diplomat or someone living the diplomatic life you know that there are highs and lows we talk about the highs and we share the highs with each other and our friends and family, but we don't tend to talk about the lows, do we? This, When we do experience those inevitable lows, it can make us feel guilty for feeling them and thinking those the thoughts that come from not enjoying everything all the time. We can feel guilty, we can feel alone, when we do inevitably experience those lows. That's why I'm here. I'm creating the safe space to talk about all aspects of the diplomatic life, the highs and the lows. But I need your financial help to continue and to grow my work. We can do great things together please go to thelonelydiplomat.com forward slash support to learn more about how you can support me financially. In this episode of The Lonely Diplomat podcast, we'll be talking about a blog post that I published on my website back in October 2018. And it's called, Are You the Self-Deprecating Diplomat? This blog post was... And and continues to be extremely popular on my website and that kind of makes me feel good but also equally bad it feels good because the blog post tells a very personal story my story of my issues with self-deprecation and 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 knowing that I'm not alone It's bad because I know that my message connects with so many of my readers. And you know how horrible, just horrendous, the feelings and the thoughts that come from self-deprecation feel within us and, and how they can make us act. So this podcast episode is focusing on that and i just to get it started i want to read the opening part of the uh of of the blog post and it tells the story of how my self-deprecation often manifests so i'm just going to read uh now i get to the office at 8 57 a.m the commute was a horror There are requests from my team to sign documents and to attend to other issues. I can't care now. I'm worried about making my 9am. I get to my office, throw down my bag. I'm dying of thirst, but there's no time to get water. I grab my notebook and a pen and make it to the meeting at 9.01am. I'm in a foul mood. If I was a cartoon, I'd have some pretty angry storm clouds hovering above me. So begins my day. The meeting begins soon after and the ambassador makes some introductory comments. i make some notes, but I feel that I'm still calming down after the commute. I can't take off my suit jacket as I'm a lather of sweat underneath. I shift uncomfortably in my seat and undo the button on my suit jacket in an attempt to get some air moving. As the meeting progresses, there's the time to make contributions. I have an idea and have thought about how it could contribute to the embassy's goals others make their contributions. They're so smart and erudite, I think. It's little wonder that they're around the table. I'm feeling a bit intimidated and way out of place. There's a pause in the discussion. The ambassador asks if there are any other contributions, looking at me. Shit. I take a breath and start to stammer out. Look, I'm not sure how relevant this is, but as I speak, the ambassador glances at his watch. He's bored, I think. Oh God, I'm boring him. I look around at others around the table. Some are looking a bit confused. Some aren't even paying attention. Shit, I'm way off topic. Wrap it up. I scream at myself. I do wrap it up. There's a pause in the conversation. Someone asks me a question to clarify and it's clear that I've been misunderstood. I'm such a fraud, I think. I don't deserve to be here. I stammer at my response and it kind of just tapers off into almost nonsensical sounds. I feel my face redden and the tap in my armpits turns on again. Attention finally moves on as someone else speaks. The ambassador looks happy with what they have to say. I quieten the racing thoughts in my head about how many ways I'm stupid and a fraud and tune back into what's being said. Wait, what? Did they just rephrase what I said? Yes, they did. And look, people around the table are nodding and leaning into the conversation. Wow, I think, they're so smart. People agree with them because they like them more than me. I think this with absolute certainty. It must be because I'm not personable enough. And then the spiral starts. How many people here don't like me? It must be everyone. They're obviously all talking about me and I'm just being tolerated. That must be why I'm not invited to coffee or to lunch. Am I too much? It's their suit, isn't it? It must be. I look like I'm wearing a Hessian sack. I need to work out more. That's it. If I was funnier, smarter, better looking and absolutely buff, they'll like and respect me. The meeting ends and I'll walk back towards my office feeling utterly dejected. That's just a short example of some of the conversation that is quite frequently happening in my head and it's horrible. It is absolutely horrendous. The voice in my head that's telling me that I'm not enough says things that are, that I would never tolerate from anybody else in my life. Nobody talks to me as horribly as I talk to myself. We're going to dig into why this is so in this episode. Now, some of you might be familiar with the book written by Sheryl Sandberg, Lean In, that was released, I think, around 2013, 2014. And she talks extensively in her book about the concept of the imposter syndrome, where, as she writes, generally women, but I contend it's all people are subject to this, feel that at any moment, somebody is going to call them out and call them a fraud. So in my mind, I have the image of me swimming in a swimming pool. I'm a swimmer, right? Swimming in a swimming pool and a lifeguard blows a whistle and says, oi, you, pointing to me and everybody stops. Get out. You know, you're such a fraud. You know, we've just found out that your, I don't know, university degree was not good enough or, or something, something. But I, I, frequently have that fear. Now self-deprecation, I want to be really clear, goes beyond the imposter syndrome, and indeed I feel that the imposter imposter syndrome is a symptom of, of self-deprecation. And I also want to put this into a bit more context for um, provide a bit more context for you. If you're Australian and listening to this if you're from New Zealand, if you're from the United Kingdom, you might be familiar with the concept of the tall poppy syndrome. Now, I'm going to explain it for those who aren't from Australia, New Zealand or the UK. Simply to say that when I say this out loud, it sounds absolutely ridiculous, but it is real. It is real and it is almost constantly in the minds of australians new zealanders and and um and and people from the uk the tall poppy syndrome relates to a a garden bed let's imagine of poppies that are all blooming and uh, and and growing some poppies are taller than the others the shorter poppies look up and go oh right you're just getting a bit ahead of yourself why don't you come back down to the rest of us you think you're so good then when the poppy the tall poppy does something wrong whatever that is whatever that is the shorter poppies kind of delight in the tall poppy being cut down to size to bring it down to the rest of the poppies because you're not better any better than me say the shorter poppies does sound ridiculous, right? But in the minds of Australians, New Zealanders, and people from the UK, this is real. And so if you were to praise an Australian and say, really good job, it would be rare for someone to say, yeah, thanks. I worked really hard. I I deserve that. Um, It would be, oh, We we would downplay it. We would say, no, no, look, it was nothing. Ah, I just got lucky or something, something, anything really to to, to brush the praise away because it doesn't do socially, culturally to be better than anybody else. Now, that might come as quite the surprise to particularly Americans who um, it appears to Australians are... very proud of owning their own achievements and and broadcasting those achievements. I don't want to speak in any more generalities because I don't think that they serve entirely, but I want you to understand, if you're not Australian or from New Zealand or from the UK, just what goes on in the minds of so many of us, because that is a symptom of self-deprecation. What is self-deprecation? Self-deprecation is really the feeling that we are not enough. Now there could be something between not and enough, so not smart enough, not educated enough, not experienced enough, not good looking enough, not rich enough, not well enough prepared or something. Now this is really common in high achieving people. and. I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say that most diplomats are actually high achieving people because we have had to brave the competition and win to secure our place in our employing agencies. We then have to brave the intense competition within our employing agencies for promotions, for postings, and for opportunities to let our talents shine. Now that takes a lot of experience and smarts to get ahead of some really intense competition and our us us high achievers within these these agencies in this environment can constantly strive for more and more and more for a variety of reasons and for a variety of motivations we might have intrinsic motivation where we are driven within ourselves or extrinsic motivation where we are looking for the praise of others and the praise and the recognition of someone or a group of of people or indeed a mix somewhere on the spectrum of 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 both whatever it is we can be highly driven people who set ourselves impossibly high goals. So even when we achieve something fantastic, we feel that it is not enough. We could have done something better. We're also prone to perfection and and wanting to put something perfect into the world. Now I want to touch briefly on perfection because this can apply to me. Because perfection comes from shame trying to put, or wanting to put something that is absolutely perfect to everybody, whoever your audience is, comes from not wanting to be judged. Similarly, self-deprecation and the words that come from self-deprecation, and by this, I mean your words that you say Give you a very clear indication of whether you are suffering, I guess, from self-deprecation. So going back to my example where I started my contribution to the meeting when I had been called on by the ambassador, when I said, look, I'm not quite sure how relevant this is, but, and then gave my point, what I was saying there was whatever you think or say of what I'm about to say, I'm already discounting it to shield myself from your judgment. Because nobody's judgment could be more harsh, could be harsher than mine. So I'm going to cache what I say in these harmless little words that come across as being uh, humble. And whatever you then say after it, I can then swat away. So if you like it, because of the tall puppy syndrome, I can say, "Ah, oh, it's okay." I, 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 you know, it's anyone could have come up with that idea. And if you don't like it, you can just say, "Yep, no, already thought of that." Yep, no, your your comments, uh, you know, already thought that, right? <laughs> so, self-deprecation. The clue to self-deprecation comes from the subtle words that we can use to wrap our words in. And sometimes, and particularly with me, it's using humour mixed with humility to point at my faults before anybody else does. So I think I'm dumb or think I'm stupid. I think I'm a fraud for being in this meeting. I don't feel like I belong. I'm going to say some words in a humorous way to make you feel better about the silly thing that I'm just about to say, because I feel that I'm I don't belong here. This is from shame. and this is false humility. And I want to quote the brilliant Hannah Gadsby from her Netflix special last year called Nanette, where Gadsby talks about in her show, about self-deprecation and the humor and and, and her style of humor um, that relied on self-deprecation. She says, self-deprecation is not humility, it's humiliation. I put myself down in order to speak, in order to seek permission to speak, and I will simply not do that anymore those are perhaps the best example or best explanation of the impact of self-deprecation that I could possibly provide you today. For me, my self-deprecation comes from the voice, as we saw in my uh, my introduction, comes from the voice that says, you're not good enough. And then it's a it's a very loud, strong voice in my mind that tells me that what I'm saying is stupid, that I'm stupid, and then it leads me down a merry shame spiral where things just become self-evident truths that you know I, I'm I'm not liked, I'm not respected, I'm not something, um, which is not true, but in my mind and therefore i'm feeling it is to be absolutely true are you still with me does this does this resonate because that voice i have named joe now joe i've realized after doing a lot of work within myself over the last number of years joe is my shame response and joe is me joe is me joe is the voice in my head of the 14-year-old me who was being bullied at school and was trying to keep me safe. It wasn't great to be the smartest kid in the class. It wasn't great to be bad at sports where I went to school. It wasn't great to be not tough. It wasn't great to be you know, good at languages, to enjoy history or, or, or things. It, Joe is the voice in my head that sought to protect me during that time and during, really, a very dark time in my life. Once I realised where Joe had come from, uh, through doing a lot of work, it wasn't something that I could have arrived just by myself, I needed to do the work, Joe became... An ally I began to see Joe as a friend as an ally after spending years trying to prove Joe wrong after years of ignoring Joe after years of pretending that he wasn't there the faking it till I make it and it wasn't working because I couldn't ignore Joe anymore and, and Joe was telling me things that were quite seductive were that i was beginning to accept as truths and he wanted to keep me small he wanted to keep me silent in meetings he wanted to keep me compliant um he wanted to keep me safe from being seen from the judgment of others and joe would replay all the mistakes that i had made in my career and in my life, and use them as evidence that I was stupid, that I was a fraud, that I just was not worthy. I didn't belong where I was in the world and, and in my life. I didn't belong there. So after years of ignoring, of proving him wrong, of Um, of, of trying to make him go away I then began to believe what the voice in my head what Joe was telling me then after getting help I recognized that Joe was me Joe was never going to go anywhere because Joe is me and he's trying to keep me safe So now, through lots of work, I now recognize when Joe is active. I now know that when I cache what I'm saying in a self-deprecating way or I think in a self-deprecating way, I know that that's Joe influencing what I think and what I say. When I suddenly have an attack of the nervous sweats, that's Joe pushing that physiological button in me when I'm procrastinating, when I look at everything else, when I'm trying to write, when I want to write, and it's a, it's a topic that is deeply personal, Joe loves to distract me by having me look at things on the internet, social media, cleaning the house. Sometimes when I'm writing my blog posts, the house has never been cleaner because Joe does not want me to sit down and write what I'm writing. So I now work with Joe. I write him notes when I recognise that. So if you were to see my my notebook here, you would see little notes that I write to Joe saying it's okay. You know, I've got this. Um, I hear you, Joe. Um, I sit with Joe quietly and and meditate and and sit there and and listen and experience what he's trying to tell me. Simply. Joe, like all of us, wants to feel seen, wants to feel heard. So I sit, I listen, and then with the reason of a 40-odd-year-old man who has experience, I can talk to the 14-year-old boy, scared boy in me, and help him through. Critically, what I also do when Joe is very active in me, I speak up. I'm so lucky to have now a group of people in my life who I know with absolute certainty will pick up the phone when I call and talk me through my thoughts and feelings and listen with empathy. This is critical because my intellectual crush, Dr. Brené Brown talks about how shame remember that joe and and self-deprecation comes from shame shame cannot survive being spoken dr brown says it shame needs three things to absolutely grow exponentially shame needs secrecy silence and judgment the antidote is empathy shame cannot survive being spoken and being met with empathy and consistently By being brave, by being courageous and speaking my shame, which we all have, I can feel much better if the tactics, sorry, if the techniques that I've been using of writing Joe a note, sitting with him quietly, aren't working. So do you have a Joe too? I'm going to say that many of my listeners who are diplomats or people who live the diplomatic life do. As fellow high achievers and people driven to perform at an extremely high level how do you respond when your Joe wants your attention over the next few days please pay attention to the words that you're saying and the thoughts that you're feeling and be alert to when your joe is trying to tell you something you might not be friends with your joe yet like i am but you need to take steps to reconcile yourself to your joe because your joe is you and it's not going away you can turn it actually into a powerful ally i really hope that i have not outed myself to the internet as some kind of crazy man who writes myself notes and and speaks to myself (laughs) so you know honestly i I think i am quite um uh uh, well i think i'm not alone let's just say that but if you do have a question for me on this episode or any previous episode or if you have feedback please feel free to send me an email to admin at the lonely diplomat.com if you like my work, please rate it on the service through which you're now listening to this podcast. And also, if you like my work, please tell a friend. And if you think that I could improve on my work, please tell me. If you found value in this episode, please show me some love via your financial support at thelonelydiplomatcom forward slash support. That's it for this episode. It sounds like you're getting ready to go anyway. So until next time, Please stay awesomely, humanly you, because the world needs more you. views expressed in this episode are my own and all sounds are freeware in the public domain. Thanks for listening.